I say it's amazing to me that it, um, it's Easter round the corner and uh, some of you might remember we started a new series um, at the beginning of the year um, and I started it by asking you a question and I want to ask it to you uh, again. If, if God was to come to you and to say to you, I'll give you anything you want, what would you ask for? What would you ask for? And I don't know what comes to mind for you, but as I say, we've been taking some time over the last few months to, to look at the words that were written by a man called Solomon, who God came and asked this question to. And his response to God was, God, give me wisdom. And, and wisdom, we've been exploring how wisdom is really the ability to skillfully live life God's way. Wisdom is really the ability to live life well, to make good decisions, to position ourselves in a way that we are ready to be blessed by God and to be a blessing to others as God works through us. And so I want to encourage us, and I've been encouraged, I want to still encourage us as individuals and together as a church this year to pursue and to prioritize wisdom. You know, and over the last kind of few months, we've been unpacking something of what that looks like and what that means. And we've kind of unpacked how, uh, what wisdom looks like when it comes to our attitudes. And it means being people of humility. We've talked about it practically, what it looks like when it comes to things like how we use our money and our words, the relationships that we have, the way that we approach our work and our time. And today... It is going to be the, the kind of the, the last in our series on the book of Proverbs. And I want to talk about something that I think is absolutely crucial to every single one of the different things that we've already been talking about and so much more. This is absolutely crucial if we are to get hold of how we are going to grow in wisdom, to grow in skillfully living life God's way and discovering the blessings that he has for us and how he wants to work through us to be a blessing to others. And so what I want to talk to you about today then is self-control. And some of you probably inwardly groan when you hear those words because they don't necessarily kind of have a positive association for us, do they? You know, when we think of self-control, we tend to think of limiting ourselves, of, of kind of stopping ourselves from being able to do or have what we really want. We kind of think of it as this kind of uh, taking away of our freedom. But you know, self-control is incredibly valuable. It's part of the treasure of wisdom that we're to pursue It's part of what we need if we're going to have an ability to live life God's way. Self-control matters. And and Proverbs is always pretty blunt, isn't it? We've discovered that over the last few months. It doesn't kind of mince its words. It's pretty direct. And it's pretty blunt with us about what a life without self-control looks like. Here are a couple of different Proverbs for you. This is Proverbs 23, verses 19 to 21. It says, says, listen, my son, and be wise. And set your heart on the right path. Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Essentially, this is saying if you lack self-control, if you can't control your appetites and your desires, then it will lead you to ruin. And we're given a great word picture 
of what this lack of self-control looks like in Proverbs 25, verse 28, which says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And we don't have cities like this anymore. If you want to go to, to London, there's no wall kind of stopping you from getting in there, is there? But, you know, when this was written, a city would have had walls around it. And those walls would have represented safety and security. And not everyone would necessarily live in the city. You'd have all the people living in the countryside and the farms and doing all the different jobs. But if there was any sign of danger, then the first thing that people would do is that they would run to and they would take refuge in the city. And if a city had broken down walls, then it was vulnerable. If enemies or invaders came along, that city would come to ruin. It would be a city where people lived in fear. And so for, for the people, these walls didn't, didn't leave them feeling limited and controlled and stopped from having the freedom that they wanted to. They provided the security and the safety so that people had a sense of actually being free. Self-control is so valuable. And a life without self-control is like a life without those walls to protect you. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Temptation is, is going to come. Opportunity to make bad decisions and wrong choices will come. And a lack of self-control doesn't just mean that you end up putting on a couple of pounds because you ate a tub of ice cream. It ruins lives. It ruins families. It ruins communities. It can ruin nations. Self-control matters. It matters when you're tired at the end of the day and you're just looking for a bit of comfort and the chocolate in the cupboard is calling your name. It matters when it's 11 o'clock at night and you know you really should be going to bed, but you just can't bring yourself to move from the sofa so you press play on the next episode. It matters early in the morning when your bed's just so warm and cozy that you can't bring yourself to kind of lift the covers off. It matters when you see that new pair of shoes or that new bag and you just have to have it because it's been at least two weeks since you bought the last one. Self-control matters when you're putting together some flat pack furniture and everything just seems to be going wrong and then it gets to that bit where you've got to hit all those silly little nails around the backing board and you miss one and you hit your thumb and everything in you wants to explode. It matters in these kind of little things. But to be honest, you know, I don't think it's these kind of little things that Proverbs talking about. These aren't the little things that lead your life to ruin and like having a, no walls around your city so you're vulnerable. Where self-control really matters and where it's make or break is not in these kind of little indulgences, but with those changes in your life that you want to make, but you feel like you simply can't. You feel trapped in a cycle with a bad habit or making bad decisions. And you just seem to go there again and again and again. 
where you feel unable to do the things that you know are going to be beneficial or to stop doing the things that you actually know are doing you harm. It's Monday night, everyone else has gone to bed. You're feeling pretty low when you're, you're sitting at the computer or you're holding your phone in your hand and there are places that you can go on the internet that seem to promise to make you feel alive again. And when you're faced with the temptation of pornography, or you're faced with the temptation of gambling, self-control matters. Self-control matters when you're in a conversation and the name of a person comes up who you don't particularly like, but you happen to know a juicy bit of gossip about. And you have to decide if you're going to use your words to pull them down or you're going to hold your tongue. And maybe you feel like you're constantly making the wrong choices in that kind of an area and that you don't want to do it, but you just can't help yourself. It somehow makes you feel powerful or good. Self-control matters and it is difficult. It's an issue for every single one of us. Even if we feel we've got it all sorted in these different areas of our lives, every one of us will have one or two areas in our lives where we struggle with self-control. And so it's important that we have time for we're able to, to kind of take a step back and do a walk around the city walls and assess where we're vulnerable. Where's the wall broken down? Where are the cracks starting to appear? And most of us are probably aware of some of those areas in our lives already. Some of the areas where we need to grow in self-control. The difficulty comes in knowing what to do about it, doesn't it? How do we see that change? And I think part of our problem is that we have a wrong understanding of what self-control really means. You know, you've had this great idea. And, and you, you kind of, how are you going to go have more self-control? How you're not going to lose your temper with your kids? How you're going to watch what you say? You're going to start getting up early in the morning and spending time with God. And you start off determined. And you start off confident. And then your kids start winding you up, doing these little things all through the day just to irritate you. They seem to have made it their mission. Until you find yourself losing your temper, saying things you regret, and eating a tub of ice cream to make yourself feel better in the evening. Or is that just me? The problem is that we get this idea like Donald Duck, that self-control is simply about getting hold of the right tool. We'll laugh and count to ten before we, so we don't lose our temper. And then it's just about us having the willpower to kind of resist that temptation and do this other thing instead. And putting it bluntly, more often than not, it doesn't work, does it? You know, we start off strong, we're determined, and little by little we get worn down. We're tired, we've had enough, and then we find ourselves back where we were to begin with. And the problem we have is that we see this word self-control and we focus in on the word self. And we think it's all about us. It's about me versus temptation and this bad habit. 
That we've just got to be strong and stand our ground and resist that urge. But you know, what we discover as we read through the Bible and we learn about how we can skillfully live God's way is that there is a battle going on over your life. There are two things fighting for control and influence over your life today. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 17. He says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It is not just you versus temptation. You know, if you can imagine every day you wake up and you are in the middle of a boxing ring. And in this corner, fighting for your life, for your future, for your purpose, for your destiny is the sinful nature. And he is the reigning champion of this world. He has destroyed the lives of thousands, pulling them down in doubt and fear and bad habits. And he is coming after your life. And in this corner, you have the challenger. You have the Holy Spirit and he has purposes and plans for you that are good. And he wants to bless you and he wants to lift you up, not only for your own good, but so that through you, something of the glory of God is put on display for all to see. And in the middle of the boxing ring is you. And every day you wake up and you're in a battle with the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit fighting for your life for what your attitude will be that day, for what you're going to look at and watch and listen to and say, how you'll use your money or your time. The moment you wake up, you were in a battle and you were making decisions about whose corner you're going to fight in. Who are you going to allow to control your life that day? Self-control isn't about us versus temptation. Self-control is about us choosing who or what we will allow to control us. As I was preparing for today, I came across this uh, little poem that I thought summed this up so well. The poem said, Two natures beat within my breast. One is foul and one is blessed. One I love and one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. What are you feeding? When you're watching things, reading things, scrolling through things on your phone, what are you feeding? Because it's in these decisions that you make that you are deciding who you are going to allow to control and influence your life. And if we take an honest kind of look at our lives and we step back, then we get this. You know, if you're here today and you are yet to accept Jesus, or if you can remember back to that before you were a Christian, self-control was tough, wasn't it? Because then it really was just you versus temptation. You versus the sinful nature, the feelings and the urges and the drives that you had. 
And there may be occasions or specific areas of your life where you feel you've been able to kind of get on top of it. But you know that there are times when you lost your temper, times when you used your words to pull someone down or you you tried to fix your problems with, with food or with drink. And in many ways, this is what just comes naturally to us. Just seems to be how we're, we're kind of wired. We don't have to teach a baby to be bad, do we? We're all born with a sinful nature fighting for influence and control over our lives. And sometimes we think, well, when we become a Christian and we start to be a follower of Jesus, that'll be the end to all of that. Anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for very long probably knows that's not been their experience. Because the moment we accept Jesus, we're forgiven for what we've done. In a moment, for every wrong thing, which is amazing. Our past is dealt with. We're made right with God. We've got a relationship with him. We have a a hope for the future and for an eternity in heaven to look forward to. It's amazing and it's instantaneous. But while we're still on this earth, we're still in a battle. The difference is that Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit now enters our boxing ring. It's no longer us versus temptation. It's no longer us versus the sinful nature. Now we're in the middle of the ring. And the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit are doing a fight over our lives. Before, while we might have have won the odd round, the fight as a whole was impossible. Now everything has changed because when we wake up, we get to choose. This is the only part where the self comes into it. We get to choose, will we allow the sinful nature or the Holy Spirit control over our lives today? And if we really start to allow this to shape the way that we understand our lives and the battle that we're in and the way that temptation and self-control works, I believe that there is an opportunity to see transformation here and to see people set free from things that they have battled with for years. You see, my tendency, and I think it's most people's tendency, is when temptation comes along, when the enemy comes along, when there's this kind of doubts that are there, we want to resist it. And so we kind of stand up strong. And my tendency is to say, you know what, I am going to step into that boxing ring and I am going to win that fight and I'm going to wield the word of God and I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to make it. Does anyone see the problem with that way of doing things? The problem is that I've fallen for the lie that self-control makes it all about me. And what I can do and how I'm going to resist and I'm going to fight and I'm going to stand. And while I might start off fighting strong, I soon get tired. I get exhausted. I get worn down. And then I find myself, I might be managed to avoid that thing, but I just end up doing that thing instead. And I'm doing things and I'm thinking things that I never wanted to say or do or think. And I feel discouraged and I feel defeated. I think we learn a very different way to fight our battles when we look at Proverbs. This is what we see in Proverbs 18, verses 10 to 11. It says this, it says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. 
The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Now, we talked earlier about how a city's walls represented security and safety, and people would come to the city um, in times of danger. But if the enemy breached the walls of the city, there would be this kind of even stronger refuge place that they would all flee to, which would be the strong tower, the fortified tower. That's where everybody would run to. And so Proverbs is telling us that God is like a fortified tower, and the people of God run to him, and they are safe. So what does this have to do with self-control? Well, this is about where we're putting our trust. What we're looking to as our defense to help us to stand. When you're feeling low and tired, when life is, is difficult, when temptation comes along, what do you run to? What do you look to and put your trust in? You know, for the rich man, the Proverbs gives us as an example, they put their trust and their hope and they look to their wealth. And they think that that will give them a protection. So, so when life gets hard, where do they take refuge in their hearts? They run to their wealth. But Proverbs tells us that their wealth is only a high wall in their own imagination. That actually they're not secure at all. That their wealth could disappear in a moment. And you see... We might not all run to our wealth, but I think so often when we're feeling low, when things get hard, when things are difficult, when temptation comes along, we have our own things that we run to, that we put our trust in, that we look to to try and fix stuff. Whether it be a relationship with a particular person, whether it be a website you know you shouldn't go to, whether it be drink, whether it be chocolate in the cupboard, When we get worn down, we look to these things, but the reality is they are only strong in our imagination. And actually, the can of beer or the chocolate bar or the tub of ice cream or the person that we run to and that we imagine is going to fix everything and protect us can't ever achieve what we've Hope for. That's one way we try and face things, and it's one way we try and get through. Or we can recognize that that doesn't work. And we've taken a kind of a step in the right direction. We recognize that doesn't work, and we don't want to go there. We don't want to look to these different things. And so, what do we put our hope in? What do we make our strong tower? And we make it ourselves. And we make our own willpower our strong tower. Do we stand against temptation? But we're only strong in our imagination. And at some point, as we get worn down, as we get tired, it all goes wrong. And we, this idea that self-control is about me pushing down and squashing down and resisting desires, it just doesn't work, does it? Because we all know that when we just try and squash those desires, It never succeeds in the long run. We might get through a day or two, but at some point it goes wrong. And so often I think we think they're the only two options. Essentially, we either give in or we try and resist it for a little bit and get tired and then we give in anyway. 
But I want to encourage you to fight your battles in a different way. To remember that once you've accepted Jesus, it's not just you and the sinful nature in the boxing ring anymore, that the Holy Spirit has come in. And so when temptation comes along, when you have urges and desires and thoughts that you, uh, you know are wrong and you don't want to be doing, don't try and fight them on your own. Don't try and stand against them and think, I've got to go to war. Instead, be like the people who, when the enemy comes along, they don't go to try and fight the enemy. They run to the fortified tower. They know they can't do it on their own, and so they look elsewhere for protection. And so instead, run to your heavenly Father. Run to the Holy Spirit. Fix your eyes on him. Let him be your hope. Let him fight for you. Because it's when we look to God as our fortified tower, when we choose to run to him and allow him to be our protector, that Proverbs tells us we are safe. And so self-control is not so much about us trying to fight this battle. It's not about what we stand against. It's about what we run towards. It's about us choosing to run to the Holy Spirit. To allow the Holy Spirit to fight for us and to have influence and control in our lives. I love the way Paul talks about this. It's one of my favorite verses to do with uh, self-control in the Bible. Titus 2 verses 11 to 14. He writes this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. When we come to Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we receive the grace of God, we receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus sets us free from our past, sets us free from past wickedness and mistakes, but he also begins to transform us from the inside out so that our desires are changed and we become people who are eager to do what is good. That's a shift in what it is that we want and we long for. But as part of the process, the Holy Spirit not only fights for us, he not only wants to be this kind of place of refuge, but as we look to him, he teaches us. We've got a job to do. He teaches us to say no to the sinful nature and to say yes to Jesus. To say no to worldly passions and yes to self-control. You see, while God is our strong tower who fights for us and protects us, and, and gives us safety. He gives us a job to do. It's just that we sometimes get the wrong idea as to what that job is. We think the job he gives us to do is to fight. But the job that he gives us to do is to choose where we're going to run to. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives to teach us where to run to. To say no to temptation and no to finding our identity in success at work or say no to, to, to the kind of finding our, our sense of self-worth in our relationships with other people. To say no to all the different types of worldly self-focused passions and instead to choose to run to Jesus and to say yes to him. 
for Jesus to become our greatest passion, our greatest treasure, our greatest desire, so that we are eager to do what is good. And you know, there are lots of practical ways that we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this process. You know, we can, we can do different things. I think having somebody who you can be accountable with is so important. So that we're able to not just struggle on our own and kind of keep the things that we're facing in the dark where we feel ashamed and we feel controlled and we don't know how we can get away from it. But we're able to bring those things into the light and to see their power broken. To have people who we can be honest with who will pray for us and support us. And will simply help us to move from where we are to where we want to be. If you don't have anybody who you are accountable with, then I want to encourage you to pray for that. To pray that God would show you somebody who you can share with. And that's all accountability is. It's somebody who is for you and wants to help you to move from where you are to where you want to be. One of the other things we can do is to look to grow in being disciplined. You know, discipline is like a muscle that grows stronger as you use it. And so we can train ourselves in it. That's the good news. If you're feeling weak, you can just go to the gym. If you want to grow in this, then you can practice discipline. And so a great way of of doing that is by simply choosing to take time to fast and to pray. Time when we choose to give something up that costs us as a way of saying, I'm going to discipline myself to say that God's more valuable, that he's more precious, that he's my chief desire. You're choosing to run towards him. And if you have areas in your life, things that you've been struggling with and battling with for years and you've not known how to get free from, let me encourage you to fast and pray and come to God with it in that way. And we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting as a church just after Easter. Be thinking, be praying about how you can engage with that, what it is that might be right for you to to give up and how you're going to get involved with that week. Ultimately, though, if God is going to be the one that we run to, that only happens if he becomes our chief desire. And we can do these things to help us get there, but we've got to desire God in a greater way than we desire the other things. It's the only way we can really overcome anything. That's what athletes do. It's they, they desire the gold medal, and so they're willing to sacrifice the time in bed. In a book called Living the Dream, um, Pastor Dave Smith, he leads a church up in Peterborough, a great guy. He writes about a couple of characters in Greek mythology, and I think this really helps to get around how we can fight desire and the different approaches we can have. The first character is Odysseus. He writes this. Odysseus was part of a company that went from Greece to invade Troy. And on his way back home to Ithaca, he was forced to face a number of challenges. One of them was sailing past the island of the Sirens. Many sailors had already been destroyed as they listened to the sound of the sirens, demonic creatures that would sing a beautiful and alluring song. As the sailors drew nearer to listen, their ships would get broken up on the hidden rocks and the men would be devoured by demons. To counteract this lethal threat, Odysseus instructed his crew to stuff their ears with wax so they could not hear the songs. They kept rowing forward and would not look to the right or to the left. He, however, wanted to listen. So he deliberately kept his ears open, but had the sailors strap him to the mast. As they sailed to by the island, Odysseus was completely captivated by the sound of the sirens. Everything in him wanted to give in to the seduction. But because he was strapped to the mast and the crew kept on rowing, they made it through. That's one way of battling temptation. He goes on and says, however, there is a better way. 
Jason, another mythological character, adopted a completely different approach. His crew kept their ears open, and he would not be strapped to the mast. As they passed by the sirens, he instructed a brilliant musician, Orpheus, to play his most beautiful melody. As Jason and his crew were captivated by this more wonderful sound, the sirens lost their power over them, and the ship passed safely by. We have two choices in how we try and resist temptation. Either we can try and battle on through willpower, inwardly longing to give in, and just getting worn out, or we can allow ourselves to be transformed and captivated by the more beautiful song of knowing the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And so when you're battling temptation, I want to encourage you over the next week not to try and battle it head on, but just to choose to run to God as your strong tower. Take refuge in him. And if you're not sure how to do that, then what I'd encourage you to to do is just to focus on something of who God is, on his character and what it is that he's done. The hope that you have in him. The beauty of his love, of the way he put that love into action by sacrificing himself on the cross. The confidence that you have because of his victory. Now, when we become captivated by Jesus, we will find that the the temptations that we struggle to fight against on our own just start to fade away. So when, when the ice cream calls this week, I love me some Ben and Jerry's, or when you find yourself about to click on that website that you know you shouldn't go to, or the kids are winding you up and you're about to snap and lose your temper, Don't try and just kind of go, oh, I'm not going to do it. Put some worship music on. Speak out loud something of, of who God is. Have a picture of the cross in your wallet that you can just pull out and look at to help you to, to shift your focus. Have some Bible verses that you know and that you can say or that you're going to flick to quickly and read just to remind you what your hope really is, to stir your heart in what your greater desire is. Don't try and squash one desire down and just kind of stand against it, but stir up your passion for a greater desire that makes the first one disappear. Make God your strong tower, the one that you run to, the one who captivates your heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to battle through this life by willpower alone. It's exhausting, isn't it? I want to be, and I want us as a church to be people who say yes to Jesus and are captivated by him. People who choose to allow the the Holy Spirit to be the one who influences and controls our lives every day. And so we are transformed from the inside out to become people who do what is good who are eager to do that. Not just choose to because we know it's right and we're going to make ourselves, but are eager to do what is good. And for the things of this world to just fade away. So I want to just take a few moments for us to be able to kind of 
respond to that? Because this begins by recognizing that we're in a battle. And it begins by recognizing the ways that our walls have maybe crumbled and are maybe cracking and we may be vulnerable. It begins by recognizing the habits that we've, we've got into of running to the wrong places and making the bad decisions and putting our hope in, in things that let us down. And so to finish, I just want us to have time to recognize that and to come to God. And let's Penny just to come and to, to play, just to give us a bit of space to, to do that. And in this time, just as you recognize those things, come to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever it might be. Knowing that as you do that, he doesn't beat you up, but he washes you clean. He forgives you and he sets you free. And then just picture yourself in that boxing ring. And make that decision to choose the corner of the Holy Spirit. To ask the Holy Spirit to to fight for you and to, to teach you how to say no to worldly passions and yes to Jesus. To grow us in discipline and more than anything else, to grow us in our desire and our passion for Jesus. That he would be the one we would run to as our strong tower every day the one who captivates our hearts so that we're eager to do what is good. And the power of those worldly things are broken in us. I'm just going to give a few moments space for you to reflect, for you to talk to God, and then I'm going to pray. we thank you that as we come to Easter we come to a time when we remember and we celebrate that you see every one of our faults every one of our weaknesses every one of our mistakes see it all and yet instead of writing us off instead of pulling away you draw near you choose to come close in your love, you, you take on every one of those wrong things. And you take on the consequences. You pay the price. You take on death. So that we don't have to. And so Jesus, we recognize today all of our failures, all of our weaknesses. All the ways that we have done things and said things and thought things and chosen things. Which go against you. And we say we're sorry. that you just come and wash each and every one of us clean now. That we would know in a fresh way your forgiveness and your acceptance. 
she says not only do we say no to those wrong things not only do we turn away from those wrong things and say sorry for those things Jesus we today we say yes to you yes to your Holy Spirit we choose to to be in your corner today and every day Jesus help us every day to wake up and to make that choice again to choose you And thank you that as we do that, we then don't have to fight on our own, but you fight with us. Thank you that then you give us your grace, your empowering presence to keep going, to live for you, to walk with you, to resist the enemy. Jesus, teach us in that, grow us in that, grow us in discipline. But more than anything, Jesus, I pray that you would kindle in my heart and kindle in the hearts of every single person here a greater desire for you. That we would be captivated in our hearts in a new way by something more of who you are. That you would be our first passion. That you would be the gold. That means that, that, that we pursue you even when that means we have to give up other things. And that we embrace that and we, we're delighted to do that because you're so much more precious. Jesus, captivate our hearts with you. Let you be that beautiful melody that plays within us that, that just moves away the cry of the sirens that would pull us to destruction. Jesus, that in us you would be honored that in us you would be pleased that in us you would be put on display Jesus that we would be set free from the things which hold us back and we would begin to step into something more of the purpose and the destiny and the promise that you have for each one of our lives and that you have for us together as a church Spirit, we look to you and we choose you today. In Jesus' name, amen. by continuing just to fix our eyes on Jesus. Just to worship him and just trusting that as we do that, as we lift him up, that he would stir our affections for him in a fresh way. And that those other things would begin to fade away. And then after the service, the prayer ministry team will be available here. And if there are things which God's particularly put his finger on in your life, let me encourage you, come and make the most of that. Know that there are people who are for you and people who are going to want to help you to get from where you are to where you want to be. So come and share with them and let them pray with you and stand with you. But right now, let's just fix our eyes on Jesus and, and worship him.